Hello and welcome to the Urban Health Podcast, keeping busy people healthy. Today we have the honour of having Ash Piggott on the show. You are a dietitian and you work with the NHS and also within private practice. Ash, tell us a bit about yourself. Oh, my name is Ash Piggott and I've been a dietitian now for, I think, about eight years. Um, I absolutely love my job. I'm really, really interested in kind of the overall picture and their relationship with food as well as how food affects us on a day-to-day basis and that's kind of led me to personal and answer my career down the path of sports nutrition. I'm really interested in kind of endurance athletes as well as just people that want to get fitter and look after themselves a little bit better. Yes so a lot of my clients are uh, looking for better body composition results and we recommend weightlifting for that but occasionally they do like to do endurance sports and this is why I got you onto the show. The London Marathon is coming up and some of my clients are interested in taking part in that. How should their diet change when they're entering into an endurance training program? But first of all, the London Marathon is amazing. So well done to any of your clients that are going to do this. It's the best marathon I've ever done. Um, I think with marathon training, is sports nutrition is sometimes overlooked. People focus a lot on the training, the training plans. But, and, and they're very in-depth and they go into great detail. But actually, there's very little about the, the nutrition that's needed. And your body is under massive strain when it's doing marathon. And that's increasing the volumes of of running, you need to think about your nutrition. If your motivation for doing the marathon is weight loss, you need to be quite careful because the advice in terms of completing the marathon can seem quite counterintuitive. But you do need calories and you do need fuel to do it. So I'll get anyone who's thinking about doing London marathon, marathon to think about three key points. I guess, like, like training, your quality of your diet is as important as quality miles. Don't get stuck into running 100 miles a week. And, and not really putting any effort into it and you're wasting those miles. At the same time, don't get sucked into eating ridiculous amounts of food. It, it's about finding that balance. Train well, train smart, but also eat well and eat smart. Eat good quality food, eat regular meals, and eat healthy meals. Um, the second point is to train with the fuel you're planning for the day. So don't train up in the day and think, oh, I must take a few gels today. If you're planning on taking fuel with you, which you will need for anything more than an hour and a half of exercise. Practice running with that fuel if you're going to need it to get to the race. Um, and the third point is there's actually no need for fancy gels or expensive protein shakes. For me, for any endurance event I do, I focus on jelly babies for the event and a glass of milk afterwards for recovery and I do that throughout all of my training to make sure I can complete the challenge. Yes, and, um, I think the, the quality of carbs does make a difference. Uh, I think that's something that's often overlooked. So simple carbs versus complex carbs, how can they affect performance? So in terms of your completion of the event, complex carbs are incredibly important in terms of maintaining satiety, promoting your, your wellness, and you want to be having good quality complex carbs as part of your regular healthy balanced diet when you're running 26 miles, you're probably not going to stop for a whole meal sandwich on the way around. You want to be able to access that fuel immediately. So you do, in that situation, need some simple carbohydrate. And if your body's not used to having pure sugar, you could make yourself very unwell on the way around by having it on the day because that's, what you, that's all you're going to be able to process. So you need to practice running by consuming some of the pure sugar um, in the early days 
and that will help you to complete the race. So again, it feels quite counterintuitive to some of the advice that you will be given, giving and taking on board about a healthy balanced diet because having six jelly babies an hour isn't part of a healthy balanced diet, but it is what you will need to do on the day of the race to, to get through the day. A lot of my clients are trying to get rid of processed food in their diet. So they don't want the yeah. bread and they don't want the jelly babies. Is there, are there carbohydrates that they can use that wouldn't be processed, that would be maybe an even healthier option? Absolutely. So um, I, I, I use bread as an example because we've got the whole meal version. Um, but yeah, absolutely, if in terms of having starchy carbohydrates, your, your sweet potatoes, your kind of wholemeal rice, your normal potatoes, all of these things are natural, complex carbohydrates and can be happening quite healthy amounts. Um, depending on your calorie needs. If you're not running a marathon, you probably don't need that large amount of these. Um, if you are running a marathon, you need them to suit your energy needs. Um, in terms of your jelly babies, I use them as a quick, sensible solution, a quick, easy to access solution for, for long runs. Um, but they don't, it doesn't have to be jelly babies. You can use some fruit juices, and a favourite of mine is fruit juice mixed with water. But again, that is a processed food. It's something that's been removed from its natural state. Mm-hmm. It's slightly better. It's, 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 a, it's a better solution than some of these heavily processed sports nutrition products that you see out there, which are basically just glorified jelly babies and glorified you know, chocolate bars. These, it, it's a, an easier solution. But it's not. It's, this isn't healthy eating. This is marathon training and sports nutrition, which is quite different, actually, and there is a variation not something you would want to keep up for the rest of your life but to get you through the marathon you probably need to try it out that's interesting and yeah about the the point on the gels these sports foods and i recommend some protein shakes for my clients also but the the, these supplements are never a substitute for real whole food vegetables plant-based nutrition nothing's a substitute for for that and so that's a good point same way if you can't outrun a bad diet you can't take a pill to cure a bad diet. You need to look at the whole picture and your whole general diet. And, you know, simply simply taking a protein supplement isn't going to address if you have a very low-protein diet. You need to be having regular bursts of, of protein, regular healthy, balanced meals that look really good, you know, that, that make you feel good and positive because how you feel is going to affect how your training goes and how you're feeling on the day. Yeah, and our diet is also affecting our intestines and you've done a lot of work around IBS and IBS has been shown to have been caused by anxiety as well as the the foods that we choose. Uh, In your experience with IBS, how have you helped your patients overcome their symptoms? So I think if you think about IBS, what it is is it's a collection of symptoms um, and generally, it's excluding any serious cause, but the, the, the degree of how that affects your life can range from very minor to extremely debilitating. And like you addressed there, it's quite complex. And the causes of IBS, which is irritable bowel syndrome, so if you've got it irritated, um, it's quite are quite it's quite multifactorial. So exactly like you pointed out, the lifestyle is a big part of that, and that includes diet, exercise, and stress. So it's your genetics. Um, you know, some people are more genetically prone to this. Um, and what's becoming more and more evident is what your gut health is like. And we're getting more and more evidence to show that your what, what the bacteria inside your gut looks like and what that gut microbiome is looking like can have a big impact into how your 
body responds to food and how your body responds to, to whether you suffer from irritable bowel syndrome. And what I tend to do with people that come to me for advice around irritable bowel syndrome is the first thing I'll always suggest is if you're having symptoms of you know bloating, diarrhea, constipation, particularly if they're sudden onset, is that can be an indication of something more serious. So you do need to exclude any other causes and getting some medical input to exclude that is, is, is a priority. And then what we generally look at is the importance of regular meals. It's a surprise in today's world how many people eat meals or sit and eat meals in front of the telly without actually enjoying them and tasting them. And that, you know, if you think about your gut as part of a muscle and it needs regular use and exercise. And if you're skipping meals, then you're actually going to allow it to become more sluggish and it's not going to be getting what it needs. Um, the other things are things that slow it down or speed it up, like caffeine and alcohol can have a massive impact into how that muscle functions and whether it's working effectively. Um, the other thing I would get people to do is, is regular exercise. If exercise of 60 minutes a day, five times a week, is prescribed in the same way that antidepressants or cardiovascular drugs are prescribed, we would have a much healthier nation. Um, and, and that applies to your gut as well because exercise keeps everything moving, going through the gut. But there are other things that we would look at, things like probiotics, things that will help boost that good bacteria in your gut and try to reset any, any disorder in terms of the, the biomes inside your gut. Um, and, and finally, the last thing I would get anyone having any gut problems to do is think about including regular oats in their diet. Oats have got this magic thing in them called soluble fibre, which helps both with any kind of bloating, constipation or diarrhoea. Never makes it worse, it only ever seems to help. Including oats every day is, is a first line. If after doing all these first line things, it's still not working, we would then look at something low FODMAP diet because removing any kind of fermented or um, carbohydrates within the diet to allow that gut to rest and to try and address any or identify any intolerances within, within the diet um, but we would always do a first line first. I mean FODMAPs affect so many people and they have no idea what they are so FODMAPs are yes. a group of food uh, like broccoli, cabbage, onion, garlic that can cause havoc in the digestive tract and cause bloating and they feed the critters in the stomach line in the in the intestinal lining and they they feed the bacteria and and bacteria is, you, we have good bacteria and bad bacteria and we uh, we are trying to nourish the good and give it enough strength so it can cope with the bad bacteria and yeah. ke- keeping a, a healthy gut really affects mood I was watching this television program where they are taking uh, transplants, uh, bacteria transplants from one person, and it's like an enema, and then they Mm. implant it into another person, and the psychological symptoms of depression transferred through the bacteria, which I found absolutely fascinating, this mind-gut barrier that we have. So. Um, and we're, we're only in early days of learning about this, but absolutely fascinating, isn't it? It is fascinating. And I have ulcerative colitis myself, and I've had to take diligent steps to make sure that I don't rely on medication for that. And there are healthy lifestyle choices that we we can do. And uh, quite right, if you have 
uh, a condition that's causing blood, mucus, bloating, and all the other glamorous uh, effects when we're talking about anything like this, then please do get a colonoscopy and get it diagnosed properly. The quicker you get your, your concerns diagnosed, the quicker you can get the right medical help. Yeah. And what I would say about the fraud mask as well is to be really careful. Um, it's very easy to look at the information on fraud masks and think, that's what I need. But actually, when you look at the low fraud mask diet, it's very, very restrictive. And if you do it without any sort of long-term plan, you can end up either on a very restricted diet for quite a long period of time or not being able to commit to it. And it becomes quite difficult to juggle and you fall in and out and you never quite know what the problems are. So I would always encourage somebody looking at a low FODMAP diet to, to seek the medical advice and dietetic advice to get that done in a structured way. Yeah, I'm often um, I'm often described as being strict. I, I don't feel that eating plants and eliminating processed food is strict. I think we should give our body what it needs and nothing that it doesn't need. And anything with a patent or a label or a barcode or a box has been designed to sell product and it, it might not be with the best of intentions. You can't patent spinach because it's nature. So anything that's natural, a bit of spinach never harmed anyone, to my knowledge. So a bit of just sticking with nature, it, we have this idea that um, we that it's too hard to do. But actually, once you have a plant-based diet and and you enjoy the benefits of eating well and eating uh, nourishing food and not, it becomes actually so rewarding that you don't want to change. You want to just stay on that path and every time you might eat something that's so called food like cereal um which you have no real good reasons to do so because due to the inflammation that it causes then um you you notice the difference you notice the difference when you eat well rather than when you don't eat well that there's a there's a feeling sometimes if you and if you don't notice that difference then that's fine maybe you've lost your intuition with your own body but yeah so, and I suppose we, we, all have, we all have different levels of tolerance. Our gut health will vary from person to person. So it's eating the right way for yourself is important as well. And not restricting to a point of, of, of making yourself miserable. So it's getting that balance right. Yeah, for me, it's not a restriction. It, it, for me... The, it's a necessity. It, it, it's, it's not only a necessity, uh, it's define what food is. What is food? And when I w- walk through a supermarket, I walk past those packets of junk. I just think that's not, that's not food. It's not giving me nourishment. It's, it's giving me obesity and, uh, and all sorts of other conditions. So, um, oh, but it tastes nice. Yeah, well, that's not a good enough reason, I'm afraid, um, because I value my health more than aesthetics uh, and, as well as aesthetics. But anyway, so I'll... I'll, this is about you, not about me. So moving on to the next question, how should our diets change post-injury? So once we've been injured, our body is in an inflammatory response. And we have talked about FODMATs and other inflammatory foods. How does sugar hmm. affect inflammation? What other foods cause inflammation? I think when you look at foods that cause inflammation, you, you, you're going to get bogged down in the nitty-gritty and the science becomes quite complicated. What we need to realise is if you're injured, food is healing, it is nourishment. So the first thing is, is your body is going to need some food. Um, your temptation when you, when you are injured is you reduce your exercise levels. And therefore, you think you need to reduce all of your food levels. And there is there is something there. You do need to adjust your food levels if you're not exercising. 
Um, but you still will need some carbohydrate in order to repair and refuel those muscles that are injured. And what you definitely need is some protein within the diet. Um, and that doesn't have to be, you don't have to be having four steaks a day. This can just be, you know, lots of plant-based pulses, lentils, some eggs, if you're eating meat, some lean meat. Um, you know, for example, for me, there's nothing better than just a lentil curry with, you know, with some spinach or some, some veg on the side. That That is the ultimate healing food. You don't have to look at, you, you don't have to um, be very restrictive in terms of your post-injury diet. But exactly like you highlighted, if you're going to fill your body up with lots of sugary foods, which we're tempted to because we're not feeling well, we're feeling rotten, um, lots of sugary foods, lots of foods that are heavily processed, you're going to end up not only not fueling that recovery, you're actually going to end up gaining weight, which, depending on where the injury is, could make the injury worse in the long term. Um, and when we're injured, I think staying as active as possible, whilst not aggravating the injury, is important. Um, for me, what we often forget is that many of us have quite suboptimal vitamin D levels. And this is really important when it comes to the body refueling and re, you know, repairing itself. Um, and I would recommend everybody either get out in the sunshine every day or take a vitamin D supplement, anything between 10 and 25 micrograms a day, uh, as well as having kind of lots of fruit and vegetables, thinking about the vitamin C, the magnesium, the potassium in there, the things that are going to help keep all that balance there. Um, now that it's the winter, you know, I'm a big fan of your winter foods, your casseroles. In the summertime, making big vegetable salads, having them alongside kind of every single meal and just keep up that good nutrition is only going to help prepare and refuel an, you know, an injured person. And Ash, it can be very confusing for people who want to manage their health and they look to the media and they've got some newspapers saying that sugar is fine, everything in moderation. Other newspapers are saying fats are bad, fats fats make you fat. And then we've got other chefs saying, no, no, have an avocado a day. That's really good for your health. What are we supposed to believe? What is the truth, Ash? I think the media is really keen to pit one against the other and social media has really kind of exaggerated this. If we think for years and years, we were told this message that a flat was, was the cause of cardiovascular disease, was the cause of obesity. And all that happened was we restricted fat to a level where our carbohydrates and our sugar intake increased. Now we've been given this opposite message of how, you know, fat isn't so bad, it's the sugar is the demon. And the truth is that neither is the villain nor is the hero. Neither should be demonized or glorified. In reality, what we need to do is address our relationship with all foods, regardless of what they are, because actually there is no magic answer. Both high-fat diets and high-carbohydrate diets are not going to save lives. It's thinking about having sensible amounts of fat in our diet, having sensible amounts of appropriate carbohydrates. Um, we know that sugar intake across the UK are almost double, triple what they should be in, in adults and you know even higher in children. It's something we need to address, but we're not helping the situation by demonising it, by saying you can't, you shouldn't, you must not. All that does is send the message that we should, we can't have it. And as soon as we hear that, our body tells us that we need to have more of it. We know what happened with fat, with everybody because their fat levels so high that they ended up overeating carbohydrate. And we're at risk of doing the same, of, of 
saying we need to have no carbohydrate and all that will happen is people will have much bigger portions of other foods and it will never address the unhealthy relationship as a nation we have with food. Um, I would argue that freedom to binge in an overeater exaggerates the issue whilst restriction promotes binging. So the, you know, in summary, a little bit of everything is okay, but we we need to address the relationship with the food, not demonize the food itself. I completely agree. So having unhealthy relationships with, with food it can cause all sorts of issues, but also understanding the body that you have. So if you've had your gallbladder removed, it's going to be more <laughs> difficult for you to process fats, for example, unless you have supplements like uh, uh, like lecithin to, to help break down those fats for you. And if you have diabetes, your relationship with sugar is completely different than with somebody who who doesn't have diabetes. And so understanding your body and what your body needs and giving your body the, the right amount of protein, fats and carbs in the, that to, to help heal uh, your, your condition. Yeah, but also not looking for that magic answer. If I just have this every day, I'll be fine. How many people, you know, will say about diet, uh, I wish I was as thin as the first time I, I felt that. And it's because we're constantly looking for that magic answer. Oh, if I just cut this out of my diet, I'll be fine. Whereas actually there, there needs to be a little bit of a, a reality check and realize that it's not a magic answer. It's understanding your body, like you say, and eating the right way for your body in a maintainable way. Yeah, so all of the advice that's out there is okay for someone that someone might not be you. Yeah. So, uh, exactly. so personalized like nutrition. No, no, of course you 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 must raise your standards and you must always continue to learn, grow, and improve. And don't feel disempowered at all. Just think, oh, there's something I can do about my health. This is good. I can, I can, I can gain control. I can make lifestyle changes. And it's little, the little things you do every day that make the difference overall. And it's not a glass of wine in isolation or a piece of toast in isolation, both of which I don't, I don't uh, think have any place in the body. However, if you, if you did have any of these items, it, in isolation, it's not going to make that, that much of a difference. And I don't like how the fitness industry has created raspberry ketones and, oh, if I just have this, if I just have green tea extracts, suddenly I'm going to lose weight. It's an accumulation of things that cause health or ill health. It's an accumulation of habits that cause obesity or, or, or slimness. So it's we need to take responsibility and have a holistic view, and I agree with you. Yeah, and it's easier to have raspberry ketones than to address your complex relationship with food. Exactly. And it's not it's not the answer. It's not the answer. Yeah. We, we must look within us, not with, not out with. <laughs> well, thank you very much for that, uh, Ash. I thought I thought that was um, really oh. insightful on the inflammation and on the injuries. And the marathon runners who are listening will be very excited to take up <laughs> your advice on carbs. It's a good excuse to have carbs. Um, they'll think. Yeah. Okay, so Ash, how can we get in touch with you if you want to learn out more? You offer sessions uh, in, on, for individuals? Yeah, so I'm based in Agile Therapy in Cardiff. I'm also available for any media work. Um, and yeah, you can get in touch with me on um, Agile Therapy's website. That's can be bookings online. Or our number is 02920 Ash, that's amazing. Thank you so much for coming on to the show. Lovely. Okay, thanks, Stephanie. Thank you so much for sharing your inspiring insights and helping urban health in keeping busy people healthy.